Hi, it feels so good to be back after six months. We're starting season two of the podcast with Sheyu Oluyole's story. Sheyu was born into a family of seven and grew up in a slum in Maltu, Lagos, Nigeria. She's a dancer, humanitarian, author, and founder of Dreamcatchers Academy. She currently wears many hats, but teaching was her first love. Yes, yeah, so growing up, every time someone asked me what I wanted to be, I used to always say I want to be a teacher. So, uh, I think that I always just love being around children. So I really, really wanted to to teach. I didn't, I didn't know in what capacity, but I knew that even as a young person, I always wanted to teach the younger kids around me. And of course, as I grew older, I realized that you don't have to necessarily sit down in the classroom and teach certain subjects to be a teacher so i started to teach um young indigent children dancing because i really really love dancing as a child she wasn't encouraged to dance but she found a hack for it knowing her parents are conservative and religious she used church as a smoke screen teaching the children and then i started teaching them dance mostly that was what i did with most of the sunday schools i was just always teaching them dance and i think for me that was actually how i found dancing it started with oh um, they wanted to do the usual december program and i offered to teach the children dancing and it just became a whole thing where every sunday that was what i was just teaching them dancing and because like i said it was in the slum so for many of these children that dancing was like a thing of hope for all of us, including myself. It was a way that we actually found hope. In 2005, when she was about 13 years old, her family moved from Maltu to Ikorodu, Lagos outskirts. While in Ikorodu, she found even more kids to dance with. But this story isn't really about that part of her life. It was just that day that I just realized, I was just like, this guy is out to, to ensure that nothing works out for me but i didn't know who to tell so he kept on begging me and apologizing and saying the same things that he knows i like to hear oh i'll be the best uh, husband i'll be the man in your life that has never hurt you i will do that but well, this time no i was not i was not listening to him i did not agree she talks about how she's refusing to break after surviving a very traumatic experience Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us for being women. Welcome to season two of the podcast. If you haven't listened to season one, I highly recommend that you do after this episode. It's available on whatever streaming platform you're listening on right now. In today's episode, we explore Sheyi and her journey from dancer to book author and how she's healing. This episode contains discussions of violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. To understand Shea's story, you have to understand how the Dreamcatchers Academy came to be. If you Google Dreamcatchers Academy like I'm doing right now, you'll find that it is a not-for-profit focused on providing quality education for indigent kids in Ikorodu through dance. Shea set up the academy in 2015 after moving back to Nigeria from the U.S., where she was studying for a master's degree. Um. Yes. Yes. When when I came back, uh, I started with about five children, like full time. But I remember that the first class I had, there were like twelve of them. But after a while, some of them stopped coming. But like 
when I was coming back, everybody was just people, the children I used to work with already they knew. So they're just telling everybody around that she is coming back and she is coming back. Remember that as a child, she used to teach kids to dance. She pretty much carried that dance tradition with her till uni. When she turned 24, she decided to take things up a notch by establishing an academy to cater to some of these kids. It started with just teaching them to dance, but she realized that many of these kids were from low-income families who couldn't afford to send them to school. And I remember one girl in particular who couldn't read and she was 10. So I just saved up like my salary. I used to save up my salary from Tinsel and then enroll them in private schools so that they could. So that they could attend school. She also rented an apartment so the kids could live with her, with permission from their parents, of course. And through donations from Facebook, Shay was able to raise money to feed them, teach them to dance, and keep them in school. Shay was so busy with the dream catchers that she never really thought about dating or relationship. Until she did. That was when things kind of took a turn for the worse. Not with the kids. I promise the kids are fine. But Shay's life turned upside down. After the break, I'll dive into what happened. I'm a fashion designer. I love to design clothing that makes women feel beautiful and comfortable. After a year of procrastination and self-doubt, I finally decided to start my fashion business. At the beginning, I was worried that I would struggle with how to display my unique styles online. But then, I discovered another designer's gorgeous Paystack storefront and it was the solution to my worries. With Storefront, I get a free online store where I can display my designs and adding details. I can choose background colors and upload pictures and videos of my girlfriends modeling my outfits. I love that I can display my designs the way I intended for them to be seen. And of course, very importantly, my customers can pay quickly. They just select their dress size, add to cart, choose a payment method and pay. It's been a fantastic experience so far. With Storefront, you too can build a beautiful online store with a delightful shopping experience for your customers. Open a free Paystack account at paystack.com forward slash I like girls. Shay wasn't looking for a relationship, but life has a funny way of sneaking up on you. She met her ex-husband on Facebook towards the end of 2017. At her request, we'll be calling him that man. Yeah, so this person just sent me a DM. I was like, oh, I'm glad you're okay. And I like, I want to just appreciate you send me an account number. So I sent him the organization's account number. And he was like, no, that I should also send my account number that um, he knows that people like me who care for others who are easily overlooked. And he also wanted to like, give me something. So I also sent him my account number and then he sent me 20K. And then he had asked if I had a nickname that he makes shirts. So if I had a nickname that I could put on the shirt and a cap so that I could send to me. So I gave him my nickname and then I didn't hear from him for a while. And then I think maybe after like two or three weeks, he reached out again that I wasn't feeling fine, asked for delivery address and ended up delivering the clothing items by himself. That's man and she started texting on WhatsApp a lot. So I checked, I saw that I was an alumnus of Covenant University and I also attended Covenant University. So I just let my guard down a little bit. Oh, okay, this person is an ego. Like, we refer to ourselves, this person is an ego. So I have nothing much to worry about. So, yeah. 
She became fond of him. She also didn't see any harm in trying to work out a relationship with him. He was nice and caring. He bought her things. He showed up when she needed him to. And most importantly, he was kind to the kids. And he also seemed like he was he was free around the children. Like the children didn't mind seeing him. Every time he came, he always bought something for them. So I think that was how I gradually let my guard down. And I think mostly because he was always complaining and I was just like, okay, you know what, if I'm saying that I want to give this thing a trial, I might as well, you know, just let my guard down and see how it will play out. So a few months into dating him, she started noticing some red flags. Like he still lived with his parents. And sometimes he used to feel like I was dating a teenager, which I used to always tell him. Again, in retrospect, anyway, I guess things like this is when you sit down and think about it, that you're realizing all the all the things that he could have noted. But again, the stories used to add up for me because he always he had different stories about the reason why he was still living with his parents. When sometimes maybe it's 7 p.m., his parents, his parents would be calling and calling and calling. Like, why are they calling you? Like you are like over 30 and he just had like he had great excuses for everything and everything just always made sense. She said he also used to borrow money from her all the time under the guise of using it to improve his shirt printing business. But he hardly paid back and she never saw any improvement in the business. I was always borrowing him money because he would say that, oh, he has one, like, oh, the way they do bulk shirt politics, that he has a connect, but that they, I think I remember this particular one very well, that he has to drop 300,000 naira, that if he drops 300,000 naira, they will give him the contract. So I borrowed him that money and I don't see the money till now, as I can tell you. The money not come out. There were other red flags too. She said he was overbearing and quick to throw tantrums whenever she replied to his messages late. Despite all of this, in 2018, she decided to marry him. I know, I know. You're probably wondering, how can she marry him? I had the same reaction too. However, it's important to remember that all these red flags didn't pop up at once. There were good days with this guy. And as much as we like to tell ourselves otherwise, when you're in a relationship with someone who's problematic, you tend to make excuses for yeah, them. And for whatever whatever I knew love to have meant at that time, I actually did love this person because he was constantly borrowing money from me. He was <laughs> it was yeah, it was constantly borrowing money from me. He always had stories, he always had different things and I think that for me it was just like oh somebody somebody finally somebody's paying paying attention to me in my life and somebody, somebody is saying that I mean something to them somebody is saying I'm their whole world I think that was that that was just what it was I if I'm going to be fed to myself I was getting some kind of I also got some kind of satisfaction knowing that somebody was saying that they loved me, somebody was saying that I was everything to them. And so I just used to overlook all the other crazy things and be like, okay, at least I have somebody. At least I have somebody. Okay, let me explain how this marriage thing popped up. Stick with me here. So in early 2018, in between Shay's brewing relationship, she decided it was time to move the kids from Ikorodu to Magodo. She wanted them to be in the central part of Lagos so that they could attend dance events and have donations get to them faster. She also didn't like attending her mom's church in Ikorodu and moving away guaranteed that she would be free of that obligation. Yeah, yeah. So then we just we just started house hunting. So I started house hunting in Ikorodu. And the crazy part was that I didn't even tell any black. Like, I didn't know how to tell my family in Ikorodu that, oh, 
I wanted to move. So I was just, I, I was already thinking of a perfect story. But basically, while I was house hunting in Nikolodu, most um, landlord agents, they didn't want to give a house to a single lady. So he was always coming with me and I used to tell them that, oh, he's my fiancé, he's my fiancé, he's my fiancé. I need to explain this part too. Again, stick with me. In many parts of Nigeria, single women are not allowed to rent apartments. It stems from this ridiculous notion that women who are not attached to men like their husbands or their fathers should not live alone. We covered this topic extensively in our first season. To listen to the episode, search I can't rent the apartment I want on whatever streaming platform you listen to your podcast on. Now, back to Shay. While searching for a suitable apartment in Magodo for her and the kids, she had to pretend to landlords and their agents that she planned on getting married to her boyfriend and that he would be paying for the apartment. It's crazy, but it's one of the strategies women employ to escape discrimination when looking to rent apartments. So for me, I was like, okay, you know what? While we're lying that we, we want to get married, let's just let's just do it. And any everybody that knew me before them knows that I used to always say that I don't want to get married. Like I'm not a fan of marriage. Like even if I'm seeing someone great, let's coexist, but I never wanted to get married. But at this time, I now actually said, okay, let's get married. She said she was frustrated and annoyed about lying to landlords and their agents about their marital status. So she made the decision to get married for real. I asked Shei if she regretted making this decision. So, sometimes I can be impulsive. Like if, if I have, if I'm trying to get something and I really want to get what I want to get, sometimes... I can be impulsive and I think from the moment I said I wanted to get married was when I knew which is why when my mom wanted to make noise I kept on saying no I didn't want anybody to know I wanted it to be strictly family and also why I chose my birthday I chose my birthday and I said to myself that I'm going to choose my birthday because if this ends up being a wrong decision I want to always know that I made this choice with my two eyes open and I just always knew that was why when I insisted that it had to be strictly family. I didn't want to tell anybody because for me, it was like, this is a means to an end. But also a part of me was like, it might, it might actually not be that bad. I was like, you know what? I'm just saying, I don't want this. I don't want this. And I've not entered it before. How will I know? Like, I don't even get what I'm saying. Like, how will I know? I've never been in a marriage. I just told myself that I'm not a marriage person. Um, I'm not a married person. I don't want that. Like, I, I don't know. Again, there's a lot that I cannot talk about now because I'm not ready to talk about it. But I think that I've grown to know myself a lot more and it has explained a lot of the confusion in my journey sometimes when I'm like, uh, what, why, why did I make this choice? I get what she's saying. It's that thing where you make a hasty decision about something important and realize it as soon as the deed has been done, that you made the wrong choice. They finally found a six-bedroom duplex in Magodo to rent. Shei paid for it under her fiancé's name. The plan was for him to move in with Shei and the kids. So, two months after that very interesting proposal, on Shei's birthday, they had a small private wedding. I know how to go inside. Like, I didn't know how to just tell my mom and say that, ah, I'm not doing it again. This was a bad idea. Like, I, I, I just didn't know who to tell. I just felt like I've already entered this thing. It's me that carried my mouth. I started telling them that I want to marry. So I have to do the marriage. So that, that was it. After the break, I'll tell you what their marriage was like. 
Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin. You already know me, host and producer of I Like Girls. I'm interrupting this episode to tell you about the podcast newsletter. I'd like you to join the I Like Girls community by subscribing to our newsletter. Every Tuesday at 12pm, through the newsletter, we'll send out behind-the-scenes information on topics, guests, and recordings of all our episodes. That means as a subscriber, you have first-hand information about our episodes that others don't have access to. And that's not all. You'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. You will also be notified early about any of our activities, like the availability of merch, secret podcast events, and bonus episodes. So, subscribe to our newsletter by clicking the link in the episode notes as you listen. It takes less than 30 seconds to subscribe, and I promise we won't spam you. Okay, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. She realized halfway into the marriage that the man had no job. He lied to her about the state of his business. She offered him a contract to sign for the role of a business manager with the Dreamcatchers. He wasn't having it. Instead, he wanted equity in her business and constantly badgered her about it. But then he kept on insisting that he wants to be an equal partner, he wants to be an equal partner, he wants to do this, he wants to do that. And... Like a lot was just having the relationship, I was just exhausted. I was like, okay, fine, you want to, because every day he was nagging, he was complaining, he was doing this, he was doing that. She got her lawyer to draw up a contract that would give him stakes in the dream catchers, but would also protect her interests. So he read the document and they started having arguments. They're saying that eh, he cannot sign a document, he cannot imagine his own mother wanting to get business with his father and they'll be signing a document. And that, Asha, and me, one thing about me, I try very hard is that I try to separate my work from my relationship. Like, I'm very, that's one thing that sometimes even people that know me, that are close to me, they seem, they always say that, ah, she is not okay. And I'm, I tell them, it's not that I'm not okay. It's just that when we are working, we are working. And when we are being friends, we are being friends. When we're in a relationship, we're in a relationship. But two, those two things need to be clearly stated out at every point in time. Okay, basically, he just wanted the role without any responsibility. That's kind of the, that kind of what I'm getting from all of this. Yes, exactly. He wanted the role without any responsibility. And of course, when you have a role, you are going to get paid at the end of the month. So he wanted to get paid at the end of the month. He wanted the role, but he didn't want, he didn't want to do anything. They continued to go back and forth on this document and his role at the Dreamcatchers. It was never fully reconciled. There was something else. Blessing, one of the girls that moved in with Shea and the rest of the kids started acting strange. She was 19 years old. I think that, number one, it was just my instinct. I didn't really know. At first, it was just, I don't know. It was, things were just off. And then I started paying more attention and then I realized that, like, if something was wrong with her, she would go and meet him. Um, she became rude to me. Sometimes I would talk to her. She would just be acting funny. There were, yeah, she would, she would be rude to me. There was this particular night that I woke up and I just felt like something was off and he was downstairs. The time was like 2.30 a.m. And I opened the door to the room that Blessing used to sleep in. And she turned, looked at me and turned back and... In my mind, I was like, at 2.30 a.m., why is this girl awake? And I just, I told him, I said, ah, I just have a funny feeling. I feel like something is off. She used to wake up in the middle of the night to check on the kids. 
She said sometimes she would find her husband and blessing awake in the room, blessing slept in with the other girls. It felt odd. And I just, I told him, I said, ah, I just have a funny feeling. I feel like something is off. And then he just said to me that, oh, I know that you've been suspecting that there's something going on with me and blessing. And I don't know if I should be insulted. Like, how would you say that to me? How would you think such a thing? Uh, just, just basically just gaslit me. And me, so I just felt like I started feeling very bad. Like, actually, that's true. But like, it just kept on going on. Oh, there was a time that he started saying that uh, he suspected that she had a boyfriend that she was coming back from school late and I wanted to come be picking her up from school and I told him that this girl is like she was she was actually 19 so I told him that she's she's 19 we were just really pushing because we really wanted her to go to school like blessing is 19 she can she if she chooses that she wants to have a boyfriend that is the choice that she has made that's fine so Shay's mind was fighting many thoughts. None of them were good. And I just want to be very clear on what your exact suspicion with Blessing was and what specifically you were confronting him about. Like, what was it that you were suspicious of or that you were worried about? To be sincere, I, I, I don't know. I ref at that time, I refused to believe that there was any form of affair as a matter of fact till up until the end blessing has insisted that nothing never happened that he only touched her he touched her once and she ran away and nothing never happened she insisted on that in the end but for me i just i never up until now i never allowed my mind to think that maybe he was having any sexual affairs with her what i believed was happening was he was trying to groom her and I didn't want for that to happen. So I just felt like he was trying to groom her, he was trying to groom her, and I didn't want that to happen. But at no point did I ever suspect that there was sexual, that he was already having sexual relations with her. I never let my mind go that far. I think, let me put it that way, like, I just refused to believe that that would happen. Okay, so just to clarify, he had a, a weird fixation on blessing where he was always complaining about anything that she was doing is that that's correct right yes yes always complaining about everything that she was doing and always offering to help her out so if she's not doing well in school he would say oh he wants to he wants them to do midnight reading if she's not doing one thing he would say he wants to help like that was, so every time it seemed like he was fixated on her and he was always complaining about her and then every time he complained about her he would end it with i think that i should help her to do this by the way, he did not extend this grace to the other kids, just blessing. It wasn't just about blessing. He somehow managed to isolate Shay from the people in her life. He prevented her from visiting her friends. And whenever she had to be out of the house, he hovered around her. We talked about so many crazy stories, like the time he borrowed two million naira, about $3,600 from her, and gambled it away. He also gaslighted her so much that she started to doubt herself and her own reality. This led her to journal every single important detail down. And I, I, I swear to God, I, I, I remember that day very well. I just lost it. Like, I, 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 I lost, I was holding a glass and I just threw the glass away. Because I was like, what the heck? Like, who does this? And for days, I remember that that was when I started 
keeping a journal i just said to myself i said you know what this guy does not wish me well and i'm never going to be able to achieve my goals or my dreams with this person and it's going to constantly keep bringing me down it was just that day that i just realized i was just like this guy is out to to ensure that nothing works out for me but i didn't know who to tell at this point, her relationship with the kids under her care was suffering. She was dealing with too much and she couldn't extend the care they required to them. She started to consider ending the marriage. It had become too much for her to bear, but she didn't know where to start from and she was worried about how it would affect the kids. In the middle of all of this, the Dreamcatchers took off. The kids were getting a lot of media coverage. Her name was on CNN, BBC and even Al Jazeera. From the outside, everything looked grand, but she was actually struggling. She decided it was time to leave the marriage. She was still unsure of how to go about it, especially as her husband had become physically abusive. On a random day, she had another huge fight with that man. She got tired of him begging her and promising to change, so she began texting her lawyer about the requirements needed to end the marriage. He was... He sat down beside me and, and was trying to talk to me and my phone was beeping so of course I didn't want to respond so that I wouldn't see what I was doing so I was shocked. I just sat down there then he now tried when he thought that my phone was beeping and I didn't want to look at it obviously he also then suspected and then he tried to quickly snatch the phone but then I snatched the phone before he could and then Risha uh, had a struggle and of course he overpowered me and held the phone. When he took her phone from her, he read her messages and saw that she had been asking about a marriage annulment. He seized her two phones and collected her wallet. Then he locked her up in the house. At some point, in anger, he put his arms around her neck. He pinned me against the wall with his um, elbow. I think that was the first threat that I felt. And then, then I turned the living room. I turned the living room to a studio. So while we were dragging, 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 he raked me to the floor first, first time. Raking someone to the floor pretty much means forcing them to stumble and fall. And then, I think the second time then he tried to rake me, I was I could see from the mirror, so I kind of saw his move. But I was still on the ground, and then he just told me in Yoruba that I should be careful, otherwise he was going to kill me. So I just kind of reduced my struggle because I I could see the seriousness of his eyes. Only three of the kids were at home at this time, and thankfully, they were shielded from what was happening. I put a pillow over my face three times. Um, I kept on crying and begging him. The first two times, I put the pillow over my face, put my hands behind my back, like on my bum, and sat on my waist, and then put the pillow over my face. I shook it off and told him to stop it. He did it the second time. Then the third time, he actually pressed the pillow on my face. I just kept on begging. I won't go into any more details because of its potentially triggering effects on many of our listeners. But that was not the first time he tried to kill her. She mentioned another occasion where they had argued about blessing. He walked around the house with sniper and insecticide trying to convince her to drink it. She said he kept telling her that she would be better off drinking it. For those who don't know, sniper is a poisonous insecticide. It's so dangerous that in 2019, Nigeria had to put in strict measures to curtail the sales of the substance. After the break, Shay tells us how she was able to get out of this hellish marriage. 
I'm 25 years old and I'm an illustrator. I've been painting and illustrating since I was very young. The walls of my room at home are covered with a lot of my work. Three months ago, I got tired of creating art for just myself. So I decided to take things to the next level. I wasn't sure how to publicly display and sell my work. So I asked on Twitter. Someone on my timeline recommended Storefront from Paystack. I did my research and tried it out. And with Storefront, I was able to sell my first ever painting. Here's how it worked. I created a free account on Paystack. Then I created a new storefront to sell three of my favorite paintings. I added pictures of the paintings, selected a beautiful background color, then entered different shipping amounts. Then I pretty much just shared the link to my storefront on Twitter and I had my first sale within 10 minutes. It was that easy. That was an exciting moment for me. If you like to create a customizable online store, to sell your art, product, digital items, and more, try Storefront from Paystack. You can start by creating a free account on paystack.com forward slash I like girls. Shane knew she had to leave the marriage, so she decided to talk to the only person that man had not pushed out of her life, her mother. Then when she spoke to me, it was just like, oh, I should just let it go, that she just let it go. Like the fact that I can even see a man that will stay with me with this my ministry, ministry in terms of my non-profits, with me helping children and housing them, and there is a man that is willing to take me like that. That should just overlook it. That like teacher has experienced something like that before. That should just overlook it. That should not say anything about it. It was heartbreaking for her to hear that her mother valued marriage more than her own well-being. She reached out to someone else, Inkiru, her boss. Inkiru was Shay's manager when she worked on Tinsel as a screenwriter. Tinsel is a pretty popular TV show in Nigeria. Inkiru knew about Shay's work with the Dreamcatchers because she had helped Shay raise donations for the kids on Facebook in the past. So, Shay reached out to Inkiru through a new email address she created. She had secretly created this email because her husband had access to all her emails and social media accounts. She just kept on telling me that I, need, I needed to leave. And I always say that even up until the time that I left, I left because... I really left with plans that I was going back. I just left like, okay, we saying I need to leave. I need to think about the children. Okay, let me leave. This matter will settle it. When we settle it, we'll come back together. Inkiri was out of the country, but she organized a minivan to pick Shea and the kids up to a safe house on a school day. Shea's plan was to get the kids from school without alerting that man. She suspected that Blessing might tell him about their plans, so she seized Blessing's phone. Shea filed a police report explaining what had happened after picking the kids up. She did not want that man to claim she had kidnapped the kids. She also called that man's family to let them know what had been happening in her marriage and that she was leaving. None of them supported her and they made it seem like she was overreacting. But we actually then went and stayed in one of our friends who was also a writer on Tinsel. I don't know if... Her name is Ijoma. So um, Ijoma's parents allowed us to stay in their house. Which I like. Anytime I think about that one, I'm like... That I'm so grateful. Like they actually allowed myself and all the kids. Imagine someone just letting you stay in their house, and you know how much trouble kids can get in. So we're in their house for like two weeks. If while she and the kids settled in the house, that man sent her several apologetic text messages and put through multiple phone calls. 
He also lied to Shay's family about how their marriage played out. When I explained everything to his mom, his mom was like, oh, so is that why you now packed your load and left the house? And after that, I'm, I don't think you heard me. I said, you tried to kill me. She just laughed and said, you can't kill you tomorrow. Please pack your bag and go back home. What's wrong with you? Why are you behaving like a child? And you know that I'm not in Nigeria. So it was just, I, it was just like, oh my God, like, are you guys not hearing what this person did? And I think eventually I just had to start facing reality. And so, Their marriage did eventually end at the end of 2019, but it was not without petty moves on that man's part. He locked out of the Dreamcatcher's website and deleted all her email accounts. He also changed the locks to the Magodo duplex so that she would not be able to get back in. It took months, but she slowly started to build her life back. She eventually settled back in Ikorodu with the kids, except for Blessing. Her mom offered to house and take care of Blessing and get therapy for her. She wrote a book about the entire experience. There were some parts that they were difficult. There were some parts that I had to skip through, but also it would have been a very bulky book found that you give every single detail. But that's basically the journey of me writing the book. I just said to myself that, you know what, I want to tell you a story, and this is the story that I want to tell. This is the first book I want to write, and this is the story that I want to tell. And as much as so many women will be inspired by this, that's not really the entire goal. It's just... I just want to just tell the story. Like, I have a story. I want to tell a story. And this is the story that I've chosen to tell. She released her book, Inside Life, I Bend, I Don't Break, in October 2021, on her 30th birthday. In a way, writing and releasing the book was therapeutic for her. She said it made her reflect on her past experiences and served as a medium for her to let go of all the pent-up emotions she had. I asked her what life has been like since the marriage ended nearly three years ago. Um, yes, the journey to healing has been very difficult, but one thing I, I, I hold on, I remember when it first happened, it used to be like time, time, time heals, and I used to be like, I didn't really think I would ever feel better, and so yeah, I think that's the part where time heals comes in, definitely there are triggers, but every day handling triggers has gotten easier, I remember earlier, within the first one year, I can have a trigger and I'll not be able to move or function for the rest of the day. I still have triggers like that too, but it's not as often. There are some now that I can just move on. I do a lot of self-affirmations now. And so what what this has done for me is that it has spurred a journey of self-love for myself because I just realized that I put myself in certain situations because I, if, I, if I loved myself well enough, I would have said to myself that, you know what, no. And I think that's just what it is. Um, I'm really, really, really trying hard to forgive myself. I'm really trying hard. Sometimes I just remember something and I'm just like, so you deserve a whole knock for, for this one. You deserve a knock. But I'm trying really hard to forgive myself. Um, and um, I, I, Like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a journey. But it's, it has just really opened my eyes to a whole lot of things. And it, it has made me wiser. Yeah. Shay's healing is very much a slow process. She's taking it one day at a time. She's in therapy. Well, (laughs) on and off therapy. Because sometimes she needs a break from talking about it. The kids are also in therapy. But theirs isn't on and off. Things are gradually becoming stable for them. Shay recently built a free formal and arts education school for indigent girls in Nigeria. With a lot of help from sponsors and donations. She's still dancing, teaching kids and writing screenplays. The title of her book is fitting. She bends, 
but she doesn't break. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. I Like Girls is produced by 27 Productions. If you or someone you know is experiencing violence in your relationship, please contact the sexual violence response team in your country. And remember that you are not alone and it is definitely not your fault. If you'd like to get in touch with us, visit 27productions.co. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at I Like Girls Pod. This episode is produced and written by me and Fatima Binta Gimse. Audio engineering is by Mo Isu. Our editor is Samia Talamutu, Doc has Ofasa is our associate producer, and our theme music is by Bangs with a double G. The other music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Paystack for sponsoring this episode. I'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>